Hey friends, it's your old pal Dean Martin here to talk a little bit about last week's movie, The Crying Game. I love that movie, but I only seen about an hour of it, but I gotta tell you, it's one of my favorite movies. Mr. Martin? Yeah. So you've only seen the first hour? Yeah, I saw the first hour of The Crying Game, and let me tell you, it's got some real performances in there, and that 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 uh, young Jay Davidson, mm-mm, what a lady. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and you may be wondering why I'm here talking about this movie this week. Well, i got a number of reasons. Number one, old Dino loves a good movie. You know that. You know I love movies. I love to have a little drinky-poo, smoke a little cigarette, watch a movie once in a while. But what you also got to understand is that the uh, co-host of this podcast, Jason, didn't think he could do any impersonations from that movie and not come off as a terrible person. So instead, he went with old Dino. So you don't know why he would come off like a terrible person, right? Well, it's probably because he's a white, cisgendered male, and uh, if he did any sort of impressions like that, it probably wouldn't uh, work real well. But that's just what I've been told, because I've been dead for quite a while, and I don't follow the new trends. So I'm scared to say this to you in person, so I'm just yeah. going to hand you the ending on a piece of paper. Sure, let me just take a look at that. and. Uh... So this is uh, this is what happens. That's what happens in the, in the film. Well, you know, old Eno's done a lot of fun things in his life, and that's what we're going to leave it at. So, boys, you have a great day. It's so good to be here. I'm going to go find Frank, and we're going to have us a little drinky-poo while I rethink my priorities in life. Hey, rock on. That's Dino's phrase, right? His catchphrase, rock on? Yeah, I believe so. Sure, rock on, kiddo. Okay, how much are we going to have to pay for that? I don't think it was a thing. I think he just muttered it as he walked out. <laughs> so I'm I'm amazed by his classy response. Yeah. To that, I mean, he could have he could, could have been a lot worse, Jason. I just think he was really drunk, like Dean. like really drunk, like Dean Martin. Yeah, he was Dean Martin drunk. Dean Martin was drunk. Come on, mm, come on. I can smell it. Jason, this is a what they uh, what scholars maintain is called a podcast. They would be correct. Yes. And on this podcast, we talk about films of a British nature. It's going to take 20 minutes to get through this intro. Bear with me. And I'm John Malkovich. (laughs) Nature. A British nature. We're talking about British films. We're talking about British films. Yes. Uh, The BFI, the British Film Institute, top 100 British films of all time. That is what this podcast is about. And we're about a third of the way through this list. Um, this week, of course, we're talking about one of those films. We are talking about number 93, Caravaggio. But I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. And this, and this podcast, if you're wondering, is called For Screen. And Country. So yeah, that's what we do. That's what we do. And we're going to talk about number 93, Caravaggio. Which we knew nothing about. Nothing going in. Nothing going in. As per the usual on this show, unless you are the English fucking patient, we don't know shit. And we didn't, and that's what we're going to talk about. That's right. Hit the music, Brendan. Well, before we do that, that's (laughs) not what we do, and you know that. Jason. (laughs) Try to move this along. It's been almost 40 episodes, and you still don't know our goddamn format. So we're going to talk by, we're going to start by talking about the Oscars. No, Jason. No, okay. (laughs) Probably want to do comments for last week's episode, perhaps? Yes. Oh, okay. We can do that. So before we get into it, we're going to read some comments. I'm really interested to read these comments about last week's film, The Crying Game. I know all there is to know about the crying game. 
Interesting fact, so do our listeners, Brenda. Yells What is the interesting fact? That our listeners know everything there is to know about the crying game. Well, according to these here comments we've got here, uh, Jason. Let's take a little look-see down in the comment section to what our fans thought about the crying game. <laughs> I cannot do no. hold this up the whole time. Uh, Yolan Allen says, watch this. Literally not knowing anything about the film when I was around 15 on a VHS recorded off the TV. Ooh, maybe some bad cuts in there. <laughs> <laughs> Being Irish, Neil Jordan was famous for Michael Collins, a key leader of Irish revolution around the 1910s and 20s. On The Crying Game, I fully got engrossed in it being a film set around the troubles, the strange relationship between soldiers and their captors, Irishmen who seemingly detest Britain on some level finding new life there. And then that reveal totally sucker punched me, but the sheer strange turn made it more engrossing. A great film to rewatch, seeing the little subtleties and the interaction and relationships in a new light. P.S. Keep mispronouncing my name all you wish if you ever use any of my comments. Well, we're going to assume... That's from Yolan Allen. Yelen. 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 Tell us if we're right, though. Yeah, I well, want to know if I we're would, right. I would like to know the okay, proper. This week's pr- uh, attempt is Yellen? Yellen? Yellen, is that what we're Yellen, going with? That's, that's the official we're, position we're, of this podcast? We're doing Yellen. You tell us if we're right. Okay. I just, I honestly just want to know. So I should go into the next one, then? Yeah, yeah you are. Oh, right. okay. Well, our... Uh, People our friend, love hearing our production notes. Our friend Michael Sil- Silvera, which I think is a good name, Says, I loved it when it came out. It's been ages since I've revisited the movie. The twist was all anyone could talk about when it came out. Yeah, agreed. What people didn't talk about was how much of a love story it was. Really curious if it still plays now, given how much our cultural attitudes have changed. And I, I would say it actually probably plays better now with our change in cultural attitudes. You know, there's a few little there are problematic things. things yeah. But but as far as like being accepted by a mainstream viewing audience, I think that the movie would go down a lot easier in a modern era, maybe. Well, well don't worry, Jason, because there are some things here that people will mention uh, that gave them a little bit of, a little bit of uh, 2019 attack. Awesome. Here. I'm glad to hear them. Uh, so Jack Patterson, this is a bit of a long comment, but I did want to pull this comment here. Um, I enjoyed the film enough when I saw it, along with stuff like Representation, George Michael's Song, and Miranda Richardson's Second Hairdo. <laughs> but it's definitely limited in its representation and product of his time. He says, this is a review from a trans person on Letterboxd, that I think maybe sums up any apprehensions about how the film approaches its subject. So this review on Letterboxd says, I have no idea where I put either of my copies of Whipping Girl, otherwise I'd quote directly from it. Regardless, Julia Serrano deconstructs the pivotal twist in this film and its inherent violent trans-misogyny in detail in her book, and I feel it's redundant to go over it again. Suffice to say that it plays the Ace Ventura scene seriously, having Stephen Rhea react viscerally to Dill's body out of revulsion at her naked penis. Henceforth, he misgenders her and acts as if it is a burden that he has come to fall for her. Henceforth, his narrative becomes one of coping. It's as dehumanizing as any punchline as any stereotype. Dill is never the focus of this story, but her gender is treated as a tool to build a cis man's character as an obstacle he must overcome, not a part of her being. This is galling in and of itself as a matter of trans representation, but in regards to the film overall, it's irritating because this film has the potential to be a decent movie. It squanders that on stereotypes, transphobia, and lazy writing. It squanders that on half-baked sentiments and a lack of investigation. It squanders that on plot. Kinda just fuck plot. Hmm. Uh, that is a uh, interesting perspective. That's a pretty 
I mean, you know what? I see a lot of what this person is saying. Absolutely. You have a better stand to make that comment. uh, Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) You understand it a lot more than uh, a couple of... But the the part of that comment that stands out to me is is the idea that, yeah, Dill is never the focus of the story. It's not about Dill, yeah. It's true. uh, That all is is tangential to Fergus's story more than anything. And it Mm -hmm. is kind of, you could argue, as they it's basically a prop, essentially, for his story. Well, Sharon adds to this, too, uh, with her comment. I think there are some good things in it, but the general gender politics of the time have not aged well, especially when Fergus throws up after after the reveal. Yeah, no, that does seem like we. But you, I mean, surely I don't want to defend that sort of a uh, uh, portrayal in film, but surely there are people in this world that may react in that way. I mean, if uh, if you're not getting what you expected, and it's clear in the movie that that this wasn't, you know, Dill wasn't doing this intentionally. This he just had, or she had just assumed that uh, that Fergus had known. I guess that was the mistake. Uh, and I mean, part, but Fergus is not supposed to be particularly no. woke. Well, he's a terrorist, really. I mean, in, or freedom yeah. fighter, depending on what uh, what viewpoint you take. But yeah. So Kyle Wells says, I remember watching this with a friend as a teenager, and both of us, the whole movie, without knowing the twist, knew the twist. Mm. It just seems so obvious, and I spent the whole movie wondering why it wasn't being addressed. Obviously, now the fact that it is even being used as a twist is probably problematic. But I really just never understood what the big deal with this one was. Okay. So there's the com- I mean that's a that's a, a review I'm not surprised by is that some people would say you know this movie's all about the twist and not yeah. much else. I was actually surprised having watched it years yeah. ago that it was about much more than the twist at mm. least in my opinion. Um no the the twist the, the twist such that it was is only one one very small part of the movie and that's not an insult to the the actor but uh but this is a movie about a uh, historical period that, you know, maybe we don't get a lot of on this side of the pond, you know, mm. of the troubles and, and what was going on at that time. It, it, that's what the movie's about. And, yeah, the and I mean, Dill's kind of an accessory to that story. And, I mean, a movie like this with this subject matter is such an anomaly on this list. I mean, there's not a lot of movies on this list, no. I don't think, that deal with the, like, you know, homosexual, transsexual subject matter. Yeah, I mean, you, 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 don't, you don't expect a movie about the troubles to include that as a thread of uh, plot in it. There is still a kind of a landmark movie to come with um, Sunday, Bloody Sunday, mm-hmm. which we'll get to at some point on this list. And that does deal with a, a gay character um, having an affair with a man and a woman. Oh. So it will be interesting to see how that one ages today. Um, Vincent Franconi again takes the opposite side holds up now and seems better than it did in 92 old, old Vincent Franconi straight to the point uh, I'll just I'll, I'll grab this next one too because I was very short alright so read it read it I need to keep my quota haven't seen it but the first day I worked as a library aide, I was shelving the DVDs in our children's section and had someone had sorted the crying game in with the rest of the kids' movies. I was torn on whether or not to sneak it in there and blow some poor youngster's mind. But alas, that's from Holden Martinson. <laughs> that, that would be a, a ballsy, uh, 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 mild anarchy move right there. Best veggie tales <laughs> <Yeah>. ever. <laughs> uh, our next comment comes from Kyle Keppen. Kyle the says... brother of David Keppen, the screenwriter. Absolutely. Why not? The popular buzz at the time reduced this movie to or reduced this to the twist movie. I was surprised to catch up with it for the first time decades later to see it was really nothing like what I expected. I had no idea the plot revolved around the IRA. I just assumed it was an indie love story that got complicated. I sort of feel like this movie's time has come and passed. Is it? It is really talked about anymore, or is it really talked about anymore? Other than how it was once reduced to a punchline. Well, no, because I can say at least in my life. 
all I ever knew about the movie was was the so-called twist. Was the the that became a punchline for every late night talk show host and I mean, sketch show. I mean, we played the clip from its Pat. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that was the right there. It's, it was oh. it opened it opened one of the episodes of Saturday Night Live. Like mm-hmm. it was it was on everyone's mind. Yeah, well, it just Pat happened to fit into that real well. <laughs> yeah, real well. Wait a little too oh, well. Mm-hmm, yes, my conspiracy thickens with Lauren Michaels and Stephen Rea consulting. And um, you know what? I'm going to steal the last comment, Brendan, because you just read like three in a row, including the longest one on the list. So it's my turn. Fine. Greg Creeman says, I love this movie. Forrest Whitaker was never sexier. Mm, He was very sexy. And Miranda Richardson was brilliant as the evil villain. I saw this at the theater when it was released and knew there was a big surprise. Even after it was revealed that Dill was a man, I kept waiting for the surprise. It wasn't a surprise to me, but I did like the friendship that developed between Fergus and Dill. Great movie. Yeah. I, I enjoy their relationship as well. They they have a, a nice, eventually have a nice relationship once Fergus gets uh, gets past his bullshit, I suppose. So, Jason. Yeah, what? Just say it. <laughs> we, we're going to do one more thing before we move on to what this are we gonna do? film, Caravaggio. we got to compare this. we got to compare this to number 26, which is what the crime game is on the BFI, to number 26 And I'm going to call AFI. it right now. I'm going to call it right now, Brendan. This movie also has an unexpected penis. No. Oh, damn it. (laughs) But it does apparently contain a large penis because Jimmy Stewart is in this film. Number 26 on the AFI is Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Oh, I've not seen it. I've only seen the Simpsons episode about where Mel Gibson makes the remake of Mr. Smith Goes to Washington and it involves a machine gun. I remember that one. It is a great episode. Very good episode. Um, So by default, the crying game? Crying game, yeah. (laughs) I have seen both. Um, I like Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. It's a it's a pretty um, interesting expose of politics. Even in that year when it comes out, I mean, 1939, yeah. unfortunately, it still holds up. Mm, <laughs> so <yeah. laughs> um, I'm going to say, uh, I'm, I'm, but I'm going to give it to The Crying Game. I think it's more of like a, I think it's more of a landmark film. Mm-hmm. And I think, like we talked about how some people said, you know, they think, they, they felt like it was reduced to just the twist, yeah. which, you know, I can appreciate that. I think it's a lot more than that, though. I think oh, it, kind the of, movie absolutely is, for sure. I think we kind of found that out uh last week when we discussed it yeah but that aside jason we're done with the crying game there's no remakes or sequels so no. we're done with the crying game no the crying game is the crying game and if you want to see the crying game go watch the crying game mm, good plug yeah so now we're going to talk about this week's film caravaggio caravaggio Was an artist, a really brilliant guy. He painted lots of Bible stories at a 3060 died. An Italian with a temper, always looking for a fight. He's famous for his carol school that he's painting dark and light. Jason, we have been doing this podcast for 30, I believe this is episode, this is the 36th, 36th or 37th movie we've covered on this list. And we've done more episodes. We've done other episodes. So I would say, you know, we've been doing this podcast close, something close to a year. Yeah. And that bit of audio 
is one of the worst things <laughs> we have ever played on this show. Well, and don't even say the song from Four Weddings and a Funeral. Because that makes <laughs> that song look like goddamn Bohemian Rhapsody. Well, we didn't have a lot of options, folks. And since this movie doesn't really have much of a theme song, uh, I went on YouTube and searched up Caravaggio and found a couple things. And that was one of them. So special thanks to the Now You Know channel. For providing us, and now we know. And you'll hear a little bit more of that magic at the end. <laughs> well, so maybe possibly even some different magic. Hey. Uh-oh. So, Jason, we are talking about Caravaggio. It's a movie we knew nothing, little to nothing about, but I can tell you that it's 93 on the list, as we said before. And I can tell you who is in the film. Please do. Inform me. I don't remember. Well... Uh, this film stars Nigel Terry as Caravaggio, uh, Spencer Lee as Jerusalem. I think I'm saying that right. Close Sean, enough. Sean Bean as Renuccio, one oh, of his one of his early roles, not absolutely. his first. We also have Dexter Fletcher playing young Caravaggio. Dexter Fletcher, notable for uh, basically saving the production of Bohemian Rhapsody. Wow. He stepped in, of course, he, the Brian Singer stuff. I don't want to get into it, but Brian Singer's not a good person. Yes. Uh, he also uh, basically got drunk all the time and walked off the set, and Dexter Fletcher basically came in and directed the rest of the wow. movie. Wow, I did not know that. He's also uh, been in movies like uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, and I think he was also in Snatch. Uh, so he's playing young Caravaggio, teenage. Mm-hmm. Michael Gao. Alfred himself, yet yep, again, our playing... old friend from The Go-Between. Yeah, and Women in Love for Women a very love. brief amount Briefly, of time. Yes. Uh, he's playing Cardinal Del Monte. We have the film... Debut, <laughs> what are you going to say, Del Monte? <laughs> Cardinal Pineapple? <laughs> yes. We have the film debut of Tilda Swinton uh, as Lena. Looking good. We have uh, Nigel Davenport as Giustiani. Giustiniani. I, I had a real... Uh, Giustiniani. I had a real Antonioni. That's right. <laughs> and then finally, last but not least, we have our old friend Robbie Coltrane as Scipione Borghese. That's exactly who he is. Borghese. Borghese. So, Nath, you son of a whore! You don't call me that! That's not my name! What's, what's my name, Brendan? What's my fucking name, Brendan? Jason. Thank you. I knew I fucking knew it was going to happen one day. <laughs> Calling me by your other podcast name. It's because I always say, and on whatever the thing, I always say, so Nathan. Yeah, Nathan. So, Jason. That's me. I understand. It sounds similar. I'm curious to hear this part. <laughs> Tell me what this movie is about. Who fucking knows? Uh, All right, cool. I'm going to so try. I'm going to try. tell you about the background of this film. Now. <laughs> Let me try. I'm going to try. Okay, you try. Well, first off, we got to get this out of the way. I there's I don't know when when or or what plane of existence this movie is supposed to take place. Sixteen around the, uh, late 1500s. But it's not. Because we see, first off, we see people smoking hand-rolled cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Cigarettes didn't come to the West until like the, the like 1700s, like from North America. But bigger than that, uh, there's a scene later in the movie where, where the Cardinal meets a moneylender of sorts and they're discussing... Um, uh, uh, commissioning uh, Caravaggio, mm-hmm. and he's clearly tapping out on what is like an '80s calculator, like a little tiny calculator. Well, we, and there's a few other things too in the movie that it clearly is not of any specific time period. Well, should we get into that before we even get into the? I plot? just want to get that out of the I, way. I, I, I want to get into that a little bit. All right, before let's we talk about jump it before we even plot. jump into the plot. What do you think? It's obviously intentional. Yeah, it's like too glaringly <laughs> obvious to be non-intentional. What do you think? Like, just thinking outside the box, what do you think is the intention here? Because we've got. At first glance, this is a biopic yeah. about Mikhail 
Caravaggio. Yeah. A painter from the late 1500s. But at first glance, that's what it appears to be. But you also have, like you said, all these moments of like clearly like electronic calculator you have typewriters that yes, definitely typewriters. didn't exist back then uh, a magazine magazine a straight up glossy, like, glossy magazine mm-hmm. um just all this stuff like what do you think is going through the director's I, head? I i can't speak for him in my mind it's sort of trying to make like to, to bring elements of the 1600s but then also make them a little more relatable like in terms of the fashion a lot of it like he wears like more modern looking hats and stuff and mm-hmm. clothes and but but then some of them wear like puffy 1500s like with the collars and stuff you know it's very strange well i'll tell you what i do have some notes later on about Derek german himself Mm -hmm. so maybe we'll put a a bow on uh, not a bow on that pin put a pin on that and we'll uh come back to it but that's a very interesting thing right out of the gate yes this guy this movie guys has uh so many anachronisms yes but also things like it takes place in places that are clearly like medieval looking it uh, the People are dirty like medieval peasants. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not medieval. It'd be in the, the 1600s is when the guy lived, right? Like, well, he died in 1610. Okay, so, so. 50, late 1500s, like Shakespearean times, basically. He only, he only lived for, I think he was only like 37. Yeah, he wasn't died. very old. 37? <laughs> hey, hey, get back here. <laughs> get back here, Caravaggio. Stop sucking so much dick. But I'm, well. Oh, well. We'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'll do my best. Okay. So yet again, we have a movie that, that frames itself uh, as a flashback. We've we seen haven't it done many that times. a while, though. Yeah, it's been a while, it's but we've seen while. that, you know, we did Zhivago, English Patient, Lawrence of Arabia, all sorts of movies, and we do it in this one, too, although it, it jumps around a lot. It's very nonlinear, but it's not like this movie has a, a super overall plot. No. Um, apparently, though, it is the most straightforward of Derek German's films, so wow. just let let's let that sink in. There we go. That's what it says yeah. uh, something. So, Directed by Derek German. I guess I should mention that. I so, it a lot. We open with our character, the painter, Michelangelo de Caravaggio, mm-hmm. on his deathbed, being attended to by his silent command- companion, Jerusalem. 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 I'm just going to call him Jerusalem. Jerusalem. It's not spelt like the city Jerusalem, but that's how I'm going to pronounce it. Mm. Um, and you know what? Right off the bat, let's go into our first clip. Please because do. Because this is the, right after that we start out with voiceover. Yeah. There's a lot of voiceover. A lot. And it's very poetic, and mm. it's very... Um, I guess symbolic. It's very like um, metaphorical, difficult. It's it's a guy on his deathbed, and I'm, I read it as like his inner monologue as he's dying. Like he's just kind of running through this shit in his head and thinking about his life, and and you know he's a bit delirious, obviously because he's dying. It's complicated too. Like, yeah, just like the film, it's complicated. Very. Starring Alf Baldwin and Steve Martin. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's who it's in. I'm going to sound like an idiot if it's not them. But I do want to play. Uh, so yeah, I want to play the first clip before we even really dive in because it's right at the beginning. It's the opening narration mm-hmm. uh, while Jerusalem is kind of tending to him in the bed. Moses, so Syracuse, Messina, Naples, Porto Ercole, July the 18th, 1610. Four years on the run. So many labels on the luggage and hardly a friendly face. Always on the move. Running into the poisonous blue sea. Running under the July sun. Adrift. Salt water drips from my fingers, leaving a trail of tiny tears in the burning sand. The fishermen carry me high on their shoulders. I can hear you sobbing, Jerusalemi. Rough hands warm my dying body, snatched from the cold blue sea. They're rowing me back to the village, their breath warm on my blue lips. 
and dying in time to the plash of their oars. If arms as steady as these had embraced me in life, to think, Jerusalem, our friendship should end in this room, this cold white room so far from home. So I'm glad he said his name because Jerusal- Jerusal- Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Yeah, because I didn't even pick that up the first time, and it was only going back looking at a cast list and be like, "Oh, that's what that guy's name is." Yeah. Okay. I he's, mean, it's names. Names are hard. He's mute and deaf. He's mute. Oh, he's deaf too. Yeah, I think so. Maybe he's just maybe he's just mute. I think he's just mute. I, th- okay. I think he can hear. I gave no impression that he was deaf. I don't know. You hear his voice a few times, and I yeah. get the idea that they were that they were saying he was also deaf, but I could be wrong. Maybe he just can't speak. It could be deaf too. I guess you do. Maybe hear his it's voice. Maybelline. Maybe it's Maybelline. Great, we owe them $10. So this movie is a series of scenes, essentially, so that's kind of what I have here. Very segmented. Yeah, so then we see a flashback to a younger Caravaggio. Played by Dexter Fletcher. Played by Dexter Fletcher, uh, and he's working on the street in uh, Venice, selling his art, and an old man approaches him, an older man, and says, uh, he's like, how much for the art? And he's like, 50 whatevers. He say 50 lira, 50 drachma, I don't know. 50, 50 money units, he says. 50 toonies. 50 toonies, you give them to me. And he's like, ah, it's a bit pricey. You got anything else? And he's like, back at my place, I do. And he's like, I'm in. And so it's like he's selling more than just art on the street. He's a hustler, man. He's a hustler. He gets him back there, gets his shirt off, you know, gets all oiled up, it seems, based on what's He's got uh, some he's abs. Very shiny. Gotta say he's got abs. He's got abs, he's got to show off. Uh, and then he does the classic prostitute thing, and he robs the guy. <laughs> And sends him away. Yep. And proceeds to enjoy and celebrate with a bottle of wine. He's like the male version of Monster. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Except actually, he doesn't kill him. I think I jumped ahead a little bit, but uh, well, we should because we do see we, we do see immediately actually after the opening bit we see how Caravaggio met Jerusalem. Maybe you can help me out with this. Sure. So he takes the child from like a poor family. Yes. And he pays them. I believe so. Why does he want the child? Because uh, I think he wants uh, an assistant. He wants like a, okay. somebody to help him out because he's an artist, right? And right. so it, it would be very helpful to have someone to help out with art, whether that's by posing or just lugging shit around. He's basically buying himself a slave, I would say. I mean, he's taking care of the kid. But then also, you know, the kid's mute, possibly deaf as well. So that's a burden on a poor family. So that's maybe why they would want to get rid of him and yeah. maybe make a little money on the side. And maybe, in, I'm sure they justify it to themselves by thinking perhaps he'll have a better life with this guy than he would otherwise. Right. Uh, having a place in society, as it were. But yeah, he goes and he, he yeah gives him a stack of money and the uh, the old woman tells him, oh, stars are like diamonds for poor people. And the rich people, they hide their diamonds because they can't compare them to the diamonds we have in the sky. By the way, here's my grandson. Now give me money. It is kind of, I never even thought about that. That is definitely an intentional, like, um, what do you call it when you're saying one thing but it sounds like another? You're something. You're being ironic? No, never mind. <laughs> A homonym? It's been a long long day. Yeah, it has been. So he begins making money painting for the church. Contradicting. That's the word I'm looking for? Contradicting, sure. Yeah. Like you're saying one thing, but then also a second later you're like, oh, by the way, here's my kid. Uh, So as a a young teenager, he begins making money painting for the church, uh, uh, and the cardinal seems to take a shine to him, Cardinal... Michael Gale, Alfred Pennyworth. Alfred Pennyworth Three himself. years away from being Alfred Pennyworth. Yeah, and, and also taking a young man under his charge, as much as he does then. Yeah. Uh, so he takes a shine to him because he's been doing some real nice paintings, um, but he gets in trouble, uh, young Caravaggio, because he's got a really big knife that he likes to carry around. 
um, that is, what does it say? Uh, uh, no hope, no hope, no fear, no hope, no fear, or something. It sounds like something like, you put on like a sh- uh, like a like a hoodie in like yeah, 1997. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's like no hope, no fear. Yeah, well, actually, that is a real dark thing to say on a hoodie, but I don't want it. Well, no, you, you like those skateboard punks. Yeah, no fear, no yeah, like, and then the the Christian knockoffs that are still popular. Yeah, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Christian knockoffs, my favorite band. <laughs> I'd buy that album. But yeah, so they find he's caught with this knife, and the cardinal's like, hey, this is illegal. You can't really have this. And he's like, I want that knife back. I will trade you this painting for the knife. And the cardinal's like, okay. And he gives him the knife back. Works for me. I got to go to my other job now. He really loves that knife. They've been through a lot, I imagine. He also works at the Bad Cave. Yes. Guys, he's Alfred Pennyworth. I'm just trying to say it. Uh, the cardinal also seems to be teaching him how to read. And teaching and him how to... Teaching him how to fuck. I was going to say, teaching him how to place his cock in his hand. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, he makes. Does he make direct reference to it later? Well, let's let's take a listen to a little, a little scene between the two, and you tell me. You, you tell, tell us me. what you think. Uh, we'll, you'll hear a little narration from uh, our friend Caravaggio, and right at but the end, I think you get the idea. nothing is more difficult than simplicity. <clears throat> Matter is in life. God, all these quotes. I could build a tower of Babel with them. Perhaps he'll talk himself to sleep. Infinite living atoms floating like dust in a shaft of sunlight. That, of course, is heresy. The enemies of Bruno say that ideas like that will make the fixed stars of Aristotle fall from the heavens and the world wander turning round on itself like a dizzy boy time to go see to me in that scene we have him saying like a dizzy boy he goes to reach for him and he backs off a little bit and as he's saying time to go it's almost like he's telling us like okay you don't need to watch you don't want to see this yeah is it like that was the most telling thing to me and then immediately after you have uh, these people posing for a painting yeah. and they're like what else is the cardinal after and he's like fuck all yeah but you know what you, you mean, know what yeah. he is i mean basically this movie boils down to i think a good chunk of the movie is fucking another chunk of the movie and when we get to derek german you'll the, yeah. you'll understand this part a lot more back to being an adult he spies a local fighter at the bar he's talking to a buddy of his he looks familiar. He looks real familiar. He's like re- real chiseled. Boromir. You might say that. He looks like that guy from Clear and Present Danger. Was that the one he was Lord in? of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Boromir. Alec Trevelyan himself. One Sean Bean. Playing, Alec Trevelyan? Yeah, from uh, Goldeneye. Okay. He was the bad guy. Okay. 006. Okay. For England, James. You're going to you're gonna hate me. I've never seen Goldeneye. Well, it's a pretty good James Bond movie. Okay. It's definitely the best Pierce Brosnan James Bond movie. I don't know. World is not enough. <laughs> I don't know. Die another day with Mr. Kill. God, is that the only good one? Goldeneye? <laughs> I think so, yeah. Oh. I like Tomorrow Never Dies, but uh, Goldeneye is definitely the best. Sad. So he spies this local fighter, uh, Sean Bean, who's sitting there in a newspaper hat or something. I don't know. This is this is another. This is the first thing I spotted where I'm like, what what year is this movie setting? Because he's wearing what is clearly like a newspaper formed into a hat, mm-hmm. and it's like a modern newspaper. It's not like a 1600s newspaper. Right. So he spies him, and he's like, mm, this guy, this guy's got to look to him. And he asks the guy about him, and uh, yeah, so he uh, he's interested. But our friend, Michelangelo, he paints from live poses and continues to work for the church uh, and the cardinal as an adult. 
perhaps other things. I don't know. It's not explained. Uh, he's, a, he's a bit weird. He's touchy. He's crazy. He's a bit angry, but his work is amazing. He's a hell of a painter. I don't know if you looked up any of uh, Caravaggio's actual paintings. Well, I mean... I mean, you see them in the movie, too, but, like, it is... They are very, very impressive. Mm, very almost well as done. good as mine. Almost. Yeah. So, uh, just, you know how to play with light in a way that he could never... <laughs> I mean, Jason, I don't want to brag, but, like, I paint you like my French girls, and I've heard no complaints. Uh, why would anybody ever want that? That's why you've heard no complaints. Wait a second. What? <laughs> <laughs> Think about it. Then we have a weird-ass scene uh, where they're in a room and there's a horse running around and there's a guy with a flag and Caravaggio standing near a throne and like a robe and he's holding a scythe. It's some real old-school art movie shit. Uh, I don't know if David Lynch was on set for the day. Oh, and they were celebrating the end of the 1500s? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, It was was a weird-ass fucking moment. It's cool. It was cool. I mean, it was, it was neat looking. It was just strange. I feel strange. like most of this episode is just kind of perplexed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so he sees Renucci again, engaged in a Texas death match with another man, mm. uh, where they're roped together. Stan Hansen. That's right. <laughs> no lariats thrown, unfortunately. No. Uh, and it's actually the, I think it's the dude he was talking to before that's fighting him. Yes. And uh, he wins pretty handily. And he not only beats him, but then gives him a final finishing punch to the face to, to end this. Um, and that just makes Caravaggio seem even more interested in the situation. Mike, the situation Sorrentino. But he can't get to the situation. <laughs> How dare you? Because the situation is 500 years away. So How he has to deal with Sean Bean. Dare you? Bit of a complication, though. Bit of a complication, though, when Lena, his woman and his partner in crime, arrives the and beautiful gets, Tilda uh, Swinton. The beautiful Tilda Swinton. Absolutely young, nubile Tilda Swinton. Oh, boy. It's about to get real creepy up in here. She arrives and they get a bit facey with each other, getting right in there. Oh, they are eating each other's faces. They're eating each other's faces. Uh, but despite that, he still invites them to join him for some painting and then make a little money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they go all night with the painting. And I'm not making a euphemism. They literally spend all night as he paints. Uh, he keeps paying them like they're strippers. Uh, tossing coins to uh, Sean Bean's character Puts to Ranuccio in, in his mouth. Yeah, well, Sean Bean keeps jamming them in his mouth for some reason. Which <gasps> see, okay, here I thought that that the reason he was doing that. I mean, he's paying him, but yeah. I also thought it was to make his cheekbones more pronounced, that, so that he possible. could paint that. Like paint I didn't that catch stuff. that, but that would make sense. Uh, I thought it was very strange because you'd think like this dirty coins, not the thing you want to put in your mouth. I mean, I guess, but if you're keeps, if you're a communist, keeps tossing him this money and sensually having him shove it in his face um and then eventually we get to the end where he walks up and uh uh, puts one in his own mouth and then sean bean takes it out of his mouth with his mouth and it's almost like they're kissing but renuccio is clearly a swinging door and he and lena have a bit of fun in a hammock while they play with their saliva covered coins yeah she has her coins all jammed up under do-rag yeah and they just are tossing the coins around and coin play yeah a lot of coin play going on uh so many images in this movie, though. Jerusalem is eating some lemons, and then the Cardinal's playing a harpsichord, and then there's monologuing. It's a lot of that. It's a lot of, like, again, David Lynch is, keeps coming into my mind. This movie isn't quite as weird as a David Lynch movie, but it's got a lot of that, like, images and monologuing and whispering, and it's a lot of weirdness. Mm-hmm. So Caravaggio and Renuccio have their own fun knife fight, because that's what two men who are attracted to each other do in any given situation. Well, and Matt, J- Jason and I, of course, have engaged in this many a time. Oh, man, so many knife fights. Uh, uh, Justin and I have had our share of knife fights as well when we lived together. It's mm-hmm. just what it's just what 
It's just what men do to express their intimacy with each other. Because we're men. Because we are men. We're madly men. Madly, manly, madly. Madly in love. What? Uh, (laughs) Football. (laughs) Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they have their fun knife fight, expressing their boners for each other, which does turn a bit dark, though, when Renuccio sucker stabs, uh, <laughs> he sucker stabs uh, Caravaggio. Just fucking, he's like, oh, we're done the fight. Nope, we're not. Stab. And leaves him with a nice scar to remind him of that. But that only seems to, to turn Caravaggio on a little more, and he wipes the blood off onto uh, Sean Bean's face, on Renuccio's face, uh, and d- declares that they are blood brothers. And they make out. And they totally, totally make out. And this, um, this Lena's not real happy about this. Uh, she, I think she's a bit jealous. So as, as I said earlier, the Cardinal, then we have the scene of the Cardinal meeting with a moneylender to discuss uh, uh, Caravaggio being commissioned to make a work of art. So when we see that weird little calculator that he's poking away on with a stick specifically for poking away on a calculator. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the, the work is going to be called Profane Love, which uh, really just reinforces the decadence of the church in this era. We watch a flexible model do the splits and stretch after posing forever because she's been posing for Caravaggio. He's been painting a painting and she's been filling in as the angel whose little wiener we see because he paints him naked. Yeah. I mean, we're just describing scenes. We're folks. just describing the scenes. We, folks. we like, we. we <laughs> this is the point. I never have I. Um, Never have I looked more forward to hearing Jason's plot summary than I have for this episode. Yeah, see what we can figure out. Maybe together we can totally understand what's going on here. You're on your own, bitch. Yeah, uh, and, and then this lady who we guess we learned is Scottish at some point because she speaks. Uh, she tells them that Renucci and, and Lena are invited, or Renuccio and Lena are invited for another painting because mm-hmm. the Pope is coming. Sure. So this must be this commission. They the Pope need. who is definitely coded as gay. Uh, yeah, oh my goodness. <laughs> Uh, and a package is delivered while they're working, and it turns out it is a dress for Lena, something that she's she basically wears rags. The two of them are, are greasy, dirty peasants with dirt smeared all over them at any given time and terrible teeth. Also, everybody in this movie has terrible teeth. Mm-hmm. I mean, if this is in the 1600s, it makes total sense. But again, this movie takes place whenever. So, And I mean, it is on the British Film Institute of yeah, 100. Yeah. Uh, take that, England, yeah, with your dental... Yeah, Actually, you know... Teeth. You know, English people generally have better teeth than North Americans. They have better dental care, and it's only because they don't have the same amount of devotion to buying whitening products that we do here or getting veneers on their teeth. They just let them be natural. So thank you, England, for keeping your teeth strong. <laughs> Freaking uh, yellow teeth. <laughs> you leave them alone. Uh, God save our gracious Keep teeth. Going. God save our noble Keep teeth. Going. God save our teeth. Sweet teeth <laughs> of liberty. All right, you're getting annoying. Jason just threatened me. <laughs> so she gets the package, she puts on the dress, she's super happy about it. Well, she kisses Caravaggio. Uh, before she puts on the dress. And then she kisses him again, and this time gives him a real deep kiss, because clearly she's a little jealous of what was going on and wants to make Sean Bean, Renuccio, jealous, which she does. So in the dress, she finally removes her do-rag and cleans herself up, and she looks like a lady, Mm -hmm. uh, except for the teeth. But then they all go to this big to-do. It's a party. People wearing weird 15th century clothes, 16th century, 17th century, I don't know, one of the centuries. Yeah. 
Uh, Renucci always there looking for Lena, but she's being introduced to Borghese or Borghese. Borghese. Robbie, Robbie Coltrane. Robbie Coltrane's character. With a who, fake mustache. With a fake mustache for reasons that are never explained. Well, he just, he takes out and he's like, oh, the fashion at these things. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. Okay. Again, messing with the time timeline a lot. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so he removes the mustache and makes her laugh uh, and they go off together. But not before Lena says something along the lines of virgins are expensive. So we know what's going on here. A transaction is being completed. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Caravaggio catches Renuccio stealing. Uh, stealing shit from other people at the party and he pulls a fucking knife on him. The knife. The big knife. Uh, I believe the hunter from Jumanji is also stealing. Who is this hunter you keep talking about? I haven't seen Jumanji in 20 years. The critic. John Lovitz. No. <laughs> Jonathan Hyde. He, oh. I didn't list him in the cast, but he's he plays like the guy typing up the horrible Oh, critique. that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The dude that accidentally, like, like the, was he run into Caravaggio at one point, or Caravaggio runs into him? Yeah, he's at this part. He also, I'm pretty sure he's also stealing. Yeah, and he, yeah, he doesn't like him very much. No. No. Um, Renuccio, meanwhile, after being having the knife pulled on him, decides to go make it with the lady and steal her earrings by shoving it, where, Brendan? Into his mouth. Mm. Makes sense, though. It's close. It's a place to put it. I mean, I guess that's where Sean Bean puts all his stuff. Yeah. Uh, then we see Caravaggio comes upon a sleeping Jerusalem, and they share a little laugh. He was sleeping in, in the pose uh, position, and then, but they have a little laugh. Uh, and then we see that, cra- that, that mean dude typing in a bathtub on a typewriter. He's writing a le- letter... Yes. Do you have that scene? I do have that scene. Yeah, he's writing would... a letter to the Pope about Caravaggio being an asshole. Yeah, and this is uh, gives you a... It, it, I pulled this clip because it kind of gives you a sense of how Caravaggio is viewed by his mm. peers, especially mm. in the art world. Um, this kind of uh, um, spoiled brat, I guess, is how people most people saw him. So let's, uh, let's take a quick listen. With the support of his card... With the connivance of his cardinal... This second Michelangelo stole the commission for the paintings of St. Matthew. A conspiracy between church and gutter. Good. Those who love art must be alerted to this poison which seeps into the body of our Renaissance like a pernicious drug. The shadows which permeate his paintings are no less insidious than those which cloak his ignorance and depravity. Uh, sad reflection of our time. So he's a pretty harsh critic. Everyone's a critic, Jason. Everyone's a critic. I may not know art, but I know what I like. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a dying Caravaggio. We're back to him, and he recounts a rather explicit sexual encounter. Uh, the warmness of my cock. Yes, uh, which sounded real fun. Um, <laughs> Lena is posed and she is painted. And this is when she tells him she's pregnant and that she's going to become a mistress of uh, Borghese. Borghese. I did like uh, she had the best answer for Sean Bean for yeah. Renuccio when he says, Is it mine? She's like, It's mine. Or she's, Whose is it? And she says, It's mine. mine. <laughs> and I'm like, Mm hmm, sister. But, I mean, if she was technically a virgin, whether she was or not, I don't know how she could have pulled off that fakery. Mm-hmm, sister! But either way, shit's gone down. Um, I think Borghese fucked her. 
Yeah, no, he did because that's why she went upstairs with him because she said virgins are expensive. I want to see a Tilda Swinton, Robbie Coltrane sex scene now. Well, uh, I'll put in some phone calls. They're both still alive, so we'll see what happens. All right. Uh, but she's now a clean lady. She got her face is all clean. She's not wearing a do rag. She's going to be a lady, and she's going to be mistress to to Borghese. However, that doesn't happen because she's quickly found dead in the river, <gasps> drowned. So they haul her body back, and Caravaggio and J- Jerusalem, they wash her body while Renuccio nervously looks on. Jerusalem gets the cardinal, and he gives her her last rites, even though she's already dead. Uh, and they commit an arrest for Nuccio because he's the most obvious suspect, but he claims he didn't do it, and he's thrown in a cell where he bangs his head against the wall and screams and acts like a fool. He, he also says that he thinks Borghese did it. Yeah, he thinks Borghese did it. And you know what? At, at that time, wouldn't be surprising in the least that Cardinal committed a murder or had a murder committed on their behalf. Robbie Coltrane is a good soul. He is. He helped Harry Potter and a bunch of children. He did. Oh, I didn't say that. Didn't say that. I didn't do that. Oh, I don't know what his He played was. himself in those movies. That was a documentary. <laughs> it was. He's really quite he's really quite tall. He's a big man. Uh, so okay. meanwhile, Caravaggio poses her corpse and paints it. Not once, but twice. So you get at least two paintings out of I her corpse. I did not notice that scene. Yeah. I'm pretty sure like they were at one point they were holding her. So when he meets Borghese, Borghese tells him that he's gotta stop with the rumors. Because I guess he's been spreading rumors about Borghese mm-hmm. uh, being responsible for the murder. And he's got to continue working for the church. And in return, they will forget about the sodomy. All the sodomy that he had been committing. They'll just forget about it. They're very good at forgetting about sodomy when it suits their position, aren't they? This is topical. Very topical, even now. 1986 you, may as well be 2019. You really put the spotlight on them. Ah, yeah, not now, not now. So he meets that very weird pope who's clearly coded as gay and, and very Machiavellian, mm-hmm. uh, and petitions to get Renuccio out of jail. And the Pope, uh, yeah, he agrees, whatever. Take the boy. I don't know what he says. Just take, take him. Take the boy. Take the boy. He wasn't Italian. He was hey, clearly British. What's the matter with you? I'm about the Pope. The Pope gives a weird monologue and is like, yeah, take him. So he gets Renuccio out. And the first thing Renuccio says when he's out is like, yeah, we tricked him. He's like, wait, what are you talking about? He's like, we tricked them. We got them. He's like, what What do you mean we tricked them? I got you out. You didn't do it. And he's like, oh, no, I did. I killed her. I killed her. I killed her for love. Yeah, for you. I love you. Yeah. Jason, I killed someone for you. Yeah, yeah. I love you. So I have to do what Caravaggio does at this point, which is he pulls out his big knife and puts it to Sean Bean's neck, to, Renuccio, <gasps> to Renuccio's neck, and looks at him in the eye, and then just full on slashes his fucking neck open. <sighs> and then grabs him in an embrace and lets him die as he hugs him. <sighs> So, then we go to, we see a boy, dressed as an angel, as a weird religious procession is going on. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of religious festivals in the old days. Maybe old days, I don't know what days. 1920. Yeah, sure, 1920. A lot of religious festivals going on, people hauling crosses around, and this kid and uh, another guy wander into a nearby building and see uh, Caravaggio's corpse being held. I don't feel like this is meant to be a literal scene. Uh, maybe not. Scene. Cool, because it, it's literally a Caravaggio painting. Yeah, it, um, it, it puts him in, it, as the subject of which he's been painting the yes. subject this whole time. I think it's kind of it's. I, I think it's a sort of metaphor. It thing. Has I, don't, to be. I don't think it's meant to be taken literally. I don't know that this entire movie is meant to be taken literally. Certainly not. I, yeah. Uh, and then we see Caravaggio laid out in bed. There's a bunch of people around him, including Jer- Jerusalem and some old ladies that have been hanging out, and. Uh, uh, 
Jerusalem gives a, uh, I believe he gives a sort of a eulogy. He's he's signing. He's like you doing sign yeah, language of the yeah. sort at some point. So he gives a little eulogy, and uh, that's uh, that's pretty much it. And they stop the evil land developer and get their park back. <laughs> he won the he finally won the skiing contest. That's right. <laughs> but the, but uh, interestingly, the credits roll kind of backwards. Like they literally come from the top and start at the bottom of the cast list, which I think that is because of the film's plot structure. Mm, mm. That's my theory, anyway. I think it's because it starts at the end and finishes almost well, it finishes at the beginning. But you know what I mean? It starts at the end. And I think it's ju- I think it's just a director going, what if, "Wouldn't it be cool if we ran them backwards?" Yeah, maybe. Oh, that'll make them think. Well, Jason, I don't have a lot about the movie specifically, like not too, too much, but I do have a lot about Derek Jarman because I think he's a very interesting figure. Sure, I want to learn about him. I want to get into this a little bit. So, I mean, his Derek Jarman, uh, openly gay director, mm-hmm. uh, his first uh, films that he ever did were kind of exper- these experimental super 8mm shorts. Um, and he never really abandoned that. He, also, he always kind of went back to that super 8mm. That was his favorite format. Wow. Uh, he did. Uh, he he developed kind of this idea further, and he has a few movies called October, uh, The Angelic Conversation, The Last of England, and The Garden. These are all these movies that he kind of did this super eight millimeter. Wow. Style. So he's he's like a punk filmmaker in that way. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he first became known as a stage designer. His break in the film industry actually came as a production designer for our old friend, or maybe enemy in my case. Uh, Ken Russell for uh, The Devils in 1971, oh. a film I've heard of and kind of want to see. It's not I, on this list. It's, it's not, but I don't know if I want to see it because <laughs> Women in Love was one thing. But anyway, <laughs> um, he made his name mainstream narrative filmmaking debut, though, with a movie called Sebastian in 1976 about the martyrdom of St. Sebastian. This is one of the first British films to feature positive images of gay sexuality. Wow. 1976. That's both early and late. Yeah, I would say like, I would say like, uh, arguably, a taste of honey did a fairly okay job with that. Yeah, the guy, the guy wasn't a, wasn't just a villain. Yeah, I mean, and I mean that was like a, a thing where they kind of had to code it a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, what there was no scenes of him hanging out with a guy was it Werther that I remember? No, no, they just it was it was pretty clear subtext. Yeah, uh, he followed this up with uh, a film called Jubilee. Mm-hmm. In which Queen Elizabeth I is seen to be transported forward in time to a desolate and brutal wasteland ruled by her 20th century namesake. Wow. It's like Mad Max, but with the Queen. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's insane. It sounds I want to see Queen Elizabeth II as like Lord Humongous, like wearing a mask and... <laughs> Just walk away! Just uh. walk away! <laughs> uh, during the 1980s, uh, Dirk Jarman became a very... Uh, outspoken in terms of the causes he fought for he was a leading campaigner against clause 28 which in the 1980s was was a clause to ban the quote-unquote promotion of homosexuality in schools oh so like what they're doing in russia now uh yeah pretty much (laughs) he also worked to raise awareness of aids which was a huge thing because definitely not uh known as much in the early 80s and a lot of fear and misinformation from people it's all gay people yeah uh, so much so, so he was actually he actually was diagnosed as HIV positive mm. the same year Caravaggio was released, yeah. 1986. And as soon as he was, he was open about it. He was fighting for you know a cure, or treatment, what have you. Uh, and by the time in 1993, he was basically on death's door. Like he didn't have much longer. But he did make a film called Blue. 
Mm. And it's a very interesting film. I've never seen it, but this is this is a time when he is losing his sight. Mm. Uh, he is dying, basically. And he makes this film called Blue, and it's basically a single shot of saturated blue color filling the screen, uh, set to a soundtrack composed by a man named Simon Turner, featuring original music and by uh, Coyle and mm. other artists, in which Jarman describes his life and his vision. So it's him basically talking over this blue screen about dealing with AIDS, about mm. what he's going through, but not like in a, any kind of like super direct way. Yeah. And it's also got people like Tilda Swinton, who he's, he worked with a lot after Caravaggio, and a lot of other actors just kind of very poetically talking about what it's like to go through this. Hmm. And I think the main reason he made this kind of movie is like, quite frankly, he could barely see. Yeah. So that's all he could really do at the time. And it's kind of leaves his legacy the way he would want it to leave. Like if he has this film that basically is his perspective, it's like, I'm gone. But if you want to know about me, this is the thing to watch. Yeah. It's like his, he knew he was like, you know, almost, almost uh, passed away. Yeah. He's also, of course, I mentioned this, that uh, the whole, all the priest stuff and the Pope stuff would make sense. He's a staunch atheist. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Did he grow up maybe in a Catholic home? Um, I don't. I didn't get too much about that. I think he just had a fairly average childhood. But yeah, he's a, he's a complete atheist. I think didn't, it, didn't have much regard for the Catholic Church, at least. No. <laughs> um, which is interesting, of course. Like like we said, considering the portrayal of religion in this film, and mm. probably I would guess some of his other films too. Well, and I can't really blame a, a, a gay man for having issues with the Catholic Church. No, not the best relationship <laughs> no. history between those two. Uh, Kind of ironically, given the the large number of gay people that have ended up in the Catholic Church, it's part of its uh, gears. Yeah, yeah. Watch the movie Spotlight, folks, and prepare to be depressed. Yep. <laughs> uh, interestingly enough, I wrote this in just because I thought it was a kind of a cool thing. He directed the 1989 tour by the UK duo, the Pet Shop Boys. Really? Yeah. Cool. So it was a very so he made it into a very highly theatrical event. So by pop concert standards, this was a something unheard of. Mm. Very. Like costumes and special effects and all this kind of crazy stuff. Probably fifteen to twenty years before Rob Zombie came along. Yeah, I mean he um, he is he also specifically shot films to accompany the songs. Mm-hmm. So he was doing a lot of that stuff. He also was a stage director for uh, an opera, mm-hmm. which didn't actually get staged till nineteen ninety eight. Oh, so sometime after he passed away. So he. He had been wanting to make this film about Caravaggio for seven years, hmm. at least, because he had spent seven years raising uh, money, making all these experimental Super 8mm films. Uh, and he later claimed in an interview to have rewritten this script 17 times yeah. during this period. Uh, in nineteen eighty six, this movie was actually retracted a fairly wide audience. Um, it is still probably... Derek Jarman's most widely recognized work. Mm-hmm. This is uh, mostly this is mostly due to the involvement of Channel Four distribution, which oh, okay. is a huge British distribution company. And this is also the first time, kind of, that his films began uh, receiving funding from large companies like this. So he finally was kind of making it into the mainstream a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of like I don't know, not 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 even close to the same kind of content. But to me, it's kind of like how. Kevin Smith kind of had a little following after Clerks yeah. and kind of made his way in. But it's as if he didn't go down the Kevin Smith route. Like, Kevin Smith got a little more commercial, I think, mm-hmm. as he went on. But it's like Derek Jarman was like, no, I'm just going to keep making films like Clerks. Yeah. Like, he's, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to get any... Keep those films small and personal and cheap. Yeah. Um, 
Of course, Caravaggio also saw Jarman work with actress Tilda Swinton for the first time, who he then worked with many a times after. Overt depictions of homosexual love, narrative ambiguity, and live representations of Caravaggio's most famous paintings are all prominent features in this film. And very cool. Like, those those tableaus that they establish are neat to see. And then you look at the paintings, and, and especially, you know, either when he's painting them or when it's done for an impressionistic effect. Like, it's very cool. Oh, the aesthetic of this movie is yeah, undoubtedly nice. beautiful. Yeah, it's very cool looking. Uh, so again, this is Tilda Swinton's film debut. Also, Sean Bean's first on-screen death. Of <laughs> and a many, good one. Of many to come. A very good one. Shall we deep dive? Uh, before we deep dive, I just want to say, I, I just scanned a little bit about the real life of uh, Caravaggio, the real life guy. And it was 100% accurate? Oh, totally. No, this movie, very little of this movie actually happened. There's a lot of details in this movie that are real things that have just been kind of massaged into this story. Like... The, the character of Renuccio is based on a real guy named Renuccio that, um, that Caravaggio killed. I think over a tennis match, right? Yeah, yeah there's some question as to exactly what it was about, but he got it. And, and Caravaggio had a, rep- uh, had a reputation for being a brawler. Uh, even in a time when there were fights all the time, he still was known as a fighter. Yeah. So he, I guess he got into it and accidentally killed this guy, or intentionally. I don't think anybody's sure. And then he took off. And so when he talks about being on the run, that's why he was on the run, because he had killed Renuccio. Now, there's no evidence that Renuccio knew the guy well, or they had any relationship prior to it. But this, he, he clearly ran with the idea and turned it into something in this movie. So my first thing here. Sure. Uh, we were talking about the aesthetic a little bit. Did you? Was it just me, or did you notice, like, for the fir- at least for a while, did it seem to you like they just redressed the same room for a lot of the shots in that, that like that opening room there? Yeah, yeah, probably. I feel like that room was in almost every scene. It was. It was a pretty blank canvas of a room, so they could do whatever they wanted to do with it. And and yeah, I mean the whole the whole movie, it kind of like it looks like a painting to me, mm. like the the film itself. Yes, but. I was a little distracted by the fact that I kept recognizing the same room. <laughs> See, I didn't notice that as much. I, I think they redressed it enough. I just assumed that everything was generic in the in this time. I do think this is one of the more unique ways I've seen drunkenness portrayed on the screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have that scene we talked about, of course, where uh, Caravaggio, young Caravaggio, ends up with that older man. Yeah. And they're spinning around the room. Mm-hmm. And it's clear to imply drunkenness because yeah. he's drinking and the old man's out of it. And it's just a just interesting figure. Also, that he uses that dizzy spin to then pull the knife on the guy and rob him. Yes. <laughs> There's also a scene I like where Alfred Pennyworth, of course, mm-hmm. uh, questions why Caravaggio is painting people's skin as green. Mm. And he says, well, I've, I've felt ill, so it's true to life. And he says, well, uh, what about art? He's like, I don't believe in art. <laughs> and that's just like an interesting way of like setting him up in this world is that he's... He sees art as just an extension of life, mm. like real life, not as like you know abstract or anything. That's definitely something an artist would say. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, reoccurring theme that comes up in this movie is mixing violence with romance. Mm. I have several examples. Oh yeah. The first bit is when Caravaggio falls for Renuccio after witnessing him beat the shit out of a guy in a boxing mm. match. That's love that. One. Love that. Lena is also excited by this and comes over and makes out with him. Yeah. Caravaggio and Renuccio have a knife fight that leads to a makeout session. Yep. Uh, even after Caravaggio has been stabbed. Stabbed uh, real good. Later on, Renuccio kills Lena mm-hmm. for the purposes of romance with Caravaggio. Mm-hmm. And the final haunting image of a dead Caravaggio with the coins in his eyes. Yes. 
harkens back to earlier when the coins were used for kind of sexual purposes as well, romantic sexual purposes. So it's weird. It's this is a it's reoccurring thing is violence, violence and sex and, and money. sex and romance and money. I mean, for that one thing, yeah. <laughs> In fact, when Caravaggio is stabbed, he says he's uh, he says, "Well, how can you compare flesh and blood with oil?" He's so impressed by this real thing that's happened to him that he's like, "I'm not even angry. This is amazing. I'm going to use this in my life." <laughs> I wonder, did did Neil Terry actually, or Neil Terry, Nigel Terry actually just get stabbed and then use it? <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> I will say I did I did we did put a pin in this earlier, but the stuff about the anachronisms, the mm. calculator, the typewriter, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, I personally think this is Derek. I did read a quote. I didn't write it down, but I believe this is Derek Jarman. Basically, uh, there's an interview with him where he talked about kind of realistic biopics mm. and stuff like he was doing. Yeah, and he's and he basically said, well, why is it that people see that as a more accurate, well, not accurate, but like more realistic portrayal of that? And he's like. Why can't I have a calculator in a 1600s film? What does it matter? <laughs> That's true. His basic attitude is like, why not? I mean, he. I mean, the movie's already so much of fiction, anyways. Yeah. Why not? But his basic, <laughs> yeah, his basic attitude is like, why can't I do that? Does it ruin the movie? Really? I don't think so. <laughs> I think that's kind of a. He's got that rebellious filmmaker thing going. Well, and maybe it was good because then he didn't have to worry about the script supervisor quite as much. Be like, oh, you've got your watch on in this scene. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> exactly. Everyone's very cavalier about making out with people in front of their lovers. Oh, absolutely. Everybody's just showing off. <laughs> really, like, letting them have it. I also think it's interesting that um, she, Lena does it to make Renuccio jealous. But the interesting thing is that Renuccio does get jealous. But he gets jealous because he's not the one making out with Caravaggio. Exactly. Not that he's making out with Lena. Yeah. Which I think is an interesting narrative thing they do where you don't really catch on to that. But, of course, later on... And, of course, he's in denial about it at first because she asks him, or at least to her, where she's like, you're in love with him. And he's like, no, I'm in love with his money. Yeah. <laughs> and, then she pro- and then she proves herself to be just as shallow as yeah, he is, exactly. honestly. I mean, they're both a couple of, of hoods, of toughs, of criminals, you know? Yeah. Can't um, trust them. There's a, there's a, We talked about, uh, well, I mentioned German was an a- uh, atheist. Mm. There's that whole scene where the the priest comes over to give him the cross, to yeah. put the cross on his bed, on his deathbed. Yeah. Caravaggio takes it, finally he struggles, he takes yeah. it, and then he just throws it across the room. Yeah. Like, I don't fucking need this shit. <laughs> Get that away from me. Um, but I, I also took it as not necessarily just atheism. Mm. That, to me, said something like, uh, that's Caravaggio kind of rejecting the church yeah. in the way that he was always criticized for the church giving him, quote-unquote, a free ride. Yeah. And he, I think, I feel like, he sort of felt annoyed by that. Like, mm. it, it kind of always stayed with him that people never... I don't know if they never took him seriously, but do you know what I mean? Like well, they, they never they, got that he was... He wasn't free ride. He was working. He, he was, was doing working, stuff but he got him. a lot of criticism at yeah. the time, contemporary criticism, mm. that he was, you know, just there because the church was giving him money. They are all just jealous because they didn't come up with that idea first. <laughs> and I'm guessing that's his thing of being like... If you hadn't have been in my life, I could have proven myself, you know, on yeah. my own. I but wouldn't have had to deal with all this shit. Be attached to the hip to this organization that he clearly dislikes. Exactly. Last thing I want to mention is um, the ending we talked about earlier about how, like, he, you see Caravaggio's dead body being held by, like, you know, it's like a, it's done as like a still, still models. Hmm. And the kid watches. I get the feeling that the kid was him as a kid. You think so? Because. 
And that because it, it makes reference to uh, the, the the name of the guy is a name that he shouted out earlier in the movie. Uh, Pag Pasqualoni. Pasqualoni, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because he, the kid calls the adult that, right? Yeah. That's with him. Yeah. And I think that's him as a kid, okay. and I think the idea of that is... I wasn't sure. I'm just glad you're confirming that in my mind. I think that's what it is. And then also with the credits going backwards, that kind of makes sense that we're ending when he's a child. And, yeah, like I think I think that's what they're doing. That's my theory. Yeah. So, he's gazing upon himself, yes. upon his life. Getting a vision. <laughs> this is my life. Maybe that's what inspired him to be the painter he was. He's seeing Take that image. Me for what I am, who I was meant to be. And if you give a damn, take me, baby, or leave me. Take me home tonight. Mm. I don't wanna Close enough. Yeah, you hey. know all the words. Congratulations. It's my favorite song. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> Um, I don't have anything else. Do you have anything else you want to add before uh, we get to the before we get to the stuff at the end? I just want to point out this movie is ninety two minutes long. Okay, great. Thank you. <laughs> Let's go to the critique, Jason, because I got nothing to say. Yeah. There's no there's no nominations. There's no wins to the Oscars. There's nothing at the Baftas. This movie is a little tiny movie that just kind of comes in and does its thing and leaves. Not even I wouldn't even necessarily think of it as a cult classic per se. No, it's an art I don't think it's a it's a yeah. Uh, yeah, it's an art house film, and when I saw that he this, he was associated with Ken Russell, I was a little worried, mm-hmm. a little scared. Uh, but um, surprisingly, no gay wrestling in this movie, no just knife wrestling. fights. But a lot, like, I'd say it's a gayer movie than Women in Love. Yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, but having said all that, Jason, we've already come to the end. Yeah, we have. So, I struggle with this for a bit. Mm-hmm. I'll start us off here with the yeah. wrap-up here. Go for it. Um, I watched this twice. Good for you. Thank you. I had to, because yeah. I didn't understand it the first time. <laughs> um, I'm not going to lie. The first time I watched this, I really struggled with it. Mm-hmm. I had a hard time. I I don't know if I would say it was, like, flat-out boring. No. But... A difficult one to watch. Like, it was visually interesting. Yeah. But I don't know that I was um, super into it. I was just as on a base, like, movie level. Yeah, entertaining. And I watched it the second time. I, th- I don't think it was bad, but at the same time, I'm kind of huh on it. I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, it's better than the bad, the mm. ones we've deemed to be... Oh, yes, absolutely. ...bad, which is, I guess, is, for you, is just English Patient. Yeah, it's the worst, for sure. Um, And it's certainly not... I certainly liked it a little bit more than Women in Love, but I'm not crazy about it. I mean, no. I think I think like it, it doesn't surprise me that it's pretty far down the list. I appreciate here's here's what I can say. I appreciate this movie more than I like it. I would absolutely 100% agree with that. It's clearly not meant for me. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that it's necessarily meant for anybody. Like, I don't know that this is a movie that was made as a piece of entertainment. But this is no. definitely a piece of art. Yeah. Um. And I, I again, I go back to David Lynch. Some of his movies are like that too, where as they're not the sort of films that you would like be like, hey guys, let's get together and watch this movie for fun. Uh, it's a movie you watch with intent. It's Unless you're going to watch The Elephant Man because that is a romp. It's a romp. <laughs> romp through this poor man's life. Um, John Merrick is a laugh riot. That's right. <laughs> Come on, but that's it, hilarious. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's a thing to be watched and appreciated. Maybe not necessarily to be entertained by. Um, we have seen other movies like this on the list. Um Women in Love. Women in Love is kind of that way. Which I did not like. 
Um, uh, I, I would say Blow Up to some extent, although I did like Blow Up, but I also... Liked, uh, yeah. yeah, I liked Blow Up quite a bit. Uh, I, I would say like the go-between even, like mm. uh, where I appreciate what it is, even if it's not really something for me specifically. But, you know, this this is a piece of art. It is a very interesting thing to see. I found it hard to get like captivated. Yeah. Like drawn into this yeah. movie. That, I think that's, that's the main, that's my main like stumbling block. Yeah. Like, while I appreciate everything that's going on on screen, I'm also just like, and? But... <laughs> You can also say that this is clearly a man's vision on screen. Like this is yes. this is all this guy. And this is, he made it happen. This feels to me like no studio got involved. Yeah, there was no there was no uh, uh, cuts here made by studio executives. This was, I think, exactly what I think. What this he is wanted. an unfiltered German. Yeah, and that's cool, and I appreciate that absolutely. I just probably would never watch this movie again. Yeah, it's it it exists, and I didn't like hate it so yeah. great great this is definitely one of those movies that in film class it's like uh, you know if you're talking about visual stuff in films maybe they hand you this and say watch this it is definitely inspiring for how it looks and how interesting you can make movies look by the way this is a movie 100 percent. one of my former professors he knew i was doing this podcast yeah and he said "Ooh, when you get to caravaggio you're gonna that's a great one <laughs> he would wouldn't he and i'm like okay so that combined with the fact that I had seen like a little tiny, tiny snippets, like just for a second, just to yeah. make sure everything was working, um, made me a little fearful. This is one of the ones I was dreading yeah. for sure. Uh, more than I think, even more than the English patient. But um, it wasn't it wasn't painful to watch like the English patient at all. No. It just was a little like eh. It was just going, eh. yeah. 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 It's it's fine. It's fine. It is what it is. You can't do wrong by watching it. Yeah. I mean if you're interested Check it Give out. Give it a shot. It's. I'm going to warn you right now, though. If you watch this movie, um, it's not going to be what you expect. Have a cup of coffee when you watch it. Yes. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. If for ni- it's 92 minutes, but I wouldn't say it moves. No. <laughs> um, it's also. Uh, it's also probably not the easiest movie to find. So. It's I mean, out there shortly. Yeah. But let's put that to rest. All right. So with that half-hearted, <laughs> with that half-hearted recommendation. You know what. I, <laughs> It could have been a lot worse. Absolutely. I, oh, yeah. I was dreading this was going to be the new bottom for me, yeah. bottom one for me. So it's not. So congratulations, Caravaggio. You're not the worst film on the Yay! BFI Top 100. 93 makes sense. Might be a little lower, but we'll see. Um, but Jason, now we've come to a special time on the show. The specialist of times. Specialist of times. And what time is that? Dice time. So what we're going to do, Jason, is we've got these dice here. This one's d10 and a tens d10 being pulled out of a bag of star wars yes my star wars dice bag thank you more gooder than podcast that's right uh i guess r.i.p more gooder than podcast <laughs> uh but he uh, does have a podcast now called i like to like things so just a quick plug check it out i like to like things podcast with chris brayton i like it like that exactly jason knows the theme song <laughs> so what we're going to do is Jason is going to roll these dice and whatever number he lands on will correspond with the movie on the BFI top 100 list that we will talk about next week. All right. Are I think you that was ready? the clearest I've ever read. Yeah, that. that's the best. I read that as if I have a script. Yeah. <laughs> the cue cards behind me. Yeah. <laughs> so Jason's going to roll the tens on first for more added tension. All right. Here we go, folks. First one we roll, our decade, as it were, in the list is... The 40s. Okay. This could be He's interesting. He's the boogie woogie bugle boy from Company this, B. This, this could be real interesting, Jason. And here we go. We're going to go 41. 
Finally! Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we go from I don't know what this is to I absolutely know what this is. Ladies and gentlemen, next week we are going to talk about Dr. No. Dr. No. The first? The very first James Bond uh, Eon Films production. There was a live TV version of James Bond done before starring uh, somebody as CIA agent Jimmy Bond. And of course the great... Casino Royale. Yes, that was a little bit later, though, with oh, David Niven. Okay. Yeah, that was like 19, late 60s. <laughs> so that was after James Bond had been out for a while. So we're going to talk about Dr. No, 1962, director Terrence Young. First turn as James Bond for one young Sean Connery. Why? And we watched Goldfinger uh, before, if you'll remember, and we uh, we love Goldfinger, and it is because it's the classic James Bond film. I'm a little nervous for Dr. No, because I feel like there's going to be a lot of walking around. Well... And we talked about that, that uh, you you stated for the record that you're pretty sure you like Goldfinger more. Absolutely. And you're pretty flummoxed as to why this is higher. Yes. But we'll find out. We'll talk about that. So inter- very interesting uh, turn of events here. Yes. Dr. No next week. Mixing things up a little bit. So make sure you have your uh, martini shaken, not stirred. That's not how people drink martinis at all. And bartenders, I think, hate James Bond for that reason. Shaken. Nordstad. I'm going to have to ask you to leave the bar, sir. You're the man now, dog. That's right. I found the cure for cancer, but then I lost it. I don't know if you folks know this, but I wear my socks inside out because of Finding Forrester. But yes, so check that out next week. I'm excited. I'm yeah. interested. I'm curious. It's been a long time since I've seen Dr. No. So I'm very curious. I've watched Goldfinger many times over the years, but I think I've only seen Dr. No once. So as we prepare to bid you adieu, Adieu, as the French would say. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find us on social media. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for For Screen Dan and Country. There you go. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at BFI underscore pod. You can also find Jason on Twitter at Jason D. McLeod. That is spelled M A C L E O D. And you should see his oil paintings. Oh my goodness. I have no artistic ability whatsoever. I could draw you a picture of my sixth grade teacher, but that's it. Okay, I thought I just meant like your paintings of oil cans. <laughs> I, th- I just I really like them. I that's sort of a private thing, Brett, and I'd prefer you not spread that around the world. Jason, you put it on your public Twitter. Look, I don't understand how the internet works. <laughs> I think that's clear. <laughs> but we've come to the end. Doctor No, James Bond next week. I'm excited. But right now, all I have to say to you, say it, is. God save the queen. God save the screen. And for screen and country, I'm Brendan. And I am Jason. Can I paint you? If you make me pose for 12 straight hours and shove coins in my mouth, then yes, absolutely. Done. Caraching. Was a painter a long time ago. He was Italian like Michelangelo. He worked in Naples, Malta, Sicily, and Rome. He led a turbulent life, full of murder and strife. Chiaroscuro is the contrast between dark and light. And so Caravaggio uses bold Chiaroscuro. He tends to paint his fingers cropped It makes it seem like the scenes are close up 
His techniques can make his paintings look dramatic and theatrical. He combines realistic observation of the human state, but physical. Hi everyone, I'm Ashley. And I'm Justine. And, and we, we make, make up the Cutaways Podcast. We're watching the good, the bad, and the essentials of the romantic comedy genre. So far, we've fallen in love with Cary Grant, met up with our terrible friend, pal Joey, and had the desire to run our fingers through Patrick Dempsey's hair. Join our slumber party for your ears every other week, brought to you in stereo from our blanket fort in Hollywood, California. You can find and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcatcher. Our digital blanket fort can be found at thecutaways.com. If you are the social butterfly types, you can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Cutaways Podcast. Bye! It's time, let's check our cue, baby. Pair it with a couple brews, baby. We love your movies. We love the bad ones, too. So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh, yeah. Everything I learned from movies helps to make life a little bit groovy. With a one-life plot, holes are gratuitous boobies. It's time to get busy with your friend Steven Izzy. At eilfm.podbean.com.